This is the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the show for real estate investors, stock traders, and business owners. We help you keep more of what you earn and protect what you've built. Let's get started. Hey guys, Toby Mathis here, and I have Trent Lee with me. You guys have met Trent before. Welcome back, Trent. Yeah, thanks. Happy to be here. And Trent is, I think last time we spoke, you were the number one business broker by volume in the United States. I know you're you're one of the most active business brokers yeah. that I that I've ever seen. Is that still the case? Are you number one? Or are you up there? Number one, actually, for the last five years in a row. So it's been a good ride. So there's guys who do bigger deals than I do, but there's literally no one in the country who closes more deals than I do year over year. So that's why I like having Trent on because he's in the trenches and he's doing this yeah. all day. And is now a good time to be investing in these little businesses. Yeah, now's a great time. Interest rates obviously are up and that affects the ability of a buyer, how much they can actually pay from a debt service standpoint, but it doesn't change necessarily the nature of a good business out there that's making good profits, making good income for the owners. So we're going to title this, we haven't figured out the number yet, but we're going to say big key changes the SBA has made that make buying a business attractive right now. Mm -hmm. And we have to put this against the backstop of you can go and get a savings account or high yield savings or money market, and you're going to be in the four and a half to five and a half percent range, probably closer to the four and a half. But is it worth the risk to be looking at these businesses? What are you seeing? Yeah, there's some fantastic businesses out there. And like we talked about, Toby, there's primarily there are some really good businesses out there, and they often have bad business owners or bad business operators. And I love that model because the business itself is sound, the industry is sound, whatever the business model is great. It's a lot easier to replace a bad business owner with a good business operator than to change an entire industry that might not be good or an entire business model. And so there are a lot of really good opportunities out there. And in particular, there's fair deals. And I try and price all my, my deals fair and accurately. But I get a lot, and this is, I guess, why it's helpful just to stay in contact with someone to help you look at what's in the business, what's available out there in the market. But I get a good amount of deals that are, the business is just fine. In fact, I'll give you an example of one just yesterday that we, we did. So, But the point I'm making is it's a good, fine business, but the seller is really motivated. There's a health issue or a death in the family or whatever, pending retirement. Something comes up. And it, it no longer is the priority of the seller to sell for top dollar. They might have had this business for 20, 30 years, and it's already funded their retirement. Now they have a real reason to get out. And that, for example, that example I was going to say, just yesterday, we updated the price on an urgent care. Ironically enough, the primary seller, the medical, medical director, he has a health issue. Well, I should say his wife has a health issue. Uh, out of country, he has to sell this thing in 90 days. We've priced it well under one times net profit. So talk about, you know, return on investment. Someone's getting their money back in less than one year and buying an urgent care. Urgent care businesses are not going anywhere. That's a solid industry. And is that urgent care? Like, is this somebody who has to be a doctor that owns it or can anybody own an urgent care? Yeah, good question. Tech, in this particular state that it, where it's listed, no, a, a non-medical doctor can own it. Obviously, there has to be a medical director on staff. Mm -hmm. But in this case, the medical director is really the primary physician. In this case, they're seeing it. So the primary buyer, or I should say the ideal buyer, 
really is someone who can take the place of a, a doctor. So it's not really a good investment for just anyone out there in general. It's someone who's in the medical industry. Yeah. So when you say one times net, I mean, that's to me that I'm, I'm a real estate guy. So I immediately go, huh? Because that means yeah. that, it's, that it's about 90% discount in my world. That's, that's yeah. the way I look at it. Is, are we getting that? Is that, is that, that extreme? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a, it's, I mean, in the real estate world, we look at cap rates. Mm -hmm. In the business world, we look at multiples. And in theory, you can just divide the multiple by, you know, mm -hmm. by one and get yourself the cap rate. So if it's selling for a 25, uh, or if it's selling for a 2.5 multiple of earnings, for example, that's a 25% cap rate. So in this case, if it's under one times earnings, you can't really get a better deal than that in real estate. Now, on the flip side, it's not nearly as passive, so it's gonna. There's some trade-offs there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, but it's, it still sounds interesting. So, like, give me some of the businesses. I'm always curious of this, just because I'm an old. I grew up doing liquidation and stuff, and so I, mm -hmm. I always saw businesses at their end, and it was such a wide variety. But, but the businesses that you see changing hands is it restaurants? Is it automotive shops? Muscular places? Is it? All of the above, like what? Do you, what are you seeing the most activity? In? <laughs> Literally all of the above. Every single one of those industries you mentioned, I have a deal in escrow. I have a muffler shop in escrow. They net about three hundred and thirty thousand dollars a year. We're selling it for eight hundred thousand dollars. I have plenty of restaurants wait, 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 for wait, wait, sale. Wait, wait, wait. So, like, you could literally invest eight hundred, nine hundred grand. And are you are you going to have to come up with a salary to replace the person or something, or is this really it's kicking down over $300,000 because it sounds like you're getting all your money back within two and a half years. Or... Yeah, exactly. So it depends on how you calculate it. And we might be getting totally off topic. So tell me if, if we're off here, but <laughs> there's SDE in small business space and there's EBITDA. Uh -huh. And the difference really is SDE is essentially EBITDA plus one owner's wages. So when we value small businesses, we're typically taking a value of SDE or seller's discretionary earnings. So that means the owner's wages have been added back and you either need to replace them as now the owner operator or you need to hire that out. And that would then mean you're operating from an EBITDA standpoint. Either yeah. way, those multiples, you know, maybe you're paying a two and a half or three point multiple on SDE or a three and a half four multiple on EBITDA. Either way, they're pretty good rates of return as long as you're willing to know the industry and get in and, and handle the day-to-day -day operations. Yeah, so in that case, the, it, it sounds awesome. Hey, I want a muffler shop and I immediately I'm making 300 grand a year off of my $800,000 investment. It's not quite that mm -hmm. clean, right? You're gonna yeah. have to hire somebody inside that 300 grand, maybe it's 100 grand, so now you're making 200. Still a great mm -hmm. deal. But now there's that little bit of risk. What other what other businesses? I'm just always curious. And then we'll jump into the SBA stuff, I okay. promise. Oh, there's so many. So I have, I'd have to look. I have, I believe, 18 deals in escrow right now that were just in somewhere in the process of an offer to, to, to closing, waiting on SBA approval or due diligence approval. There's a lot of transactions. One that I really like right now is in escrow right now, their EBITDA. So when you get in bigger businesses, it will be measured in EBITDA rather than SDE. Yeah. So we just did a quality of earnings on this business. Their EBITDA was north of $5 million per year. That's nice, clean, business. solid business. They're being sold for four times earnings on the EBITDA figure. Wow. So 
they're selling it for for twenty million dollars. It's a good transaction. They're a granite fabrication company. So when you or I go to KB Homes, Party Homes, Dr. Horton, all these major home builders, mm-hmm. you go to the design center and you pick out your upgrades. Mm-hmm. This company deals with no customers. They deal with no quotes, no sales quota. They just get the order from the design center from these major home builders. They have contracts and they just cut it and install it. And they have contracts to handle entire like s- divisions. So sometimes hundreds of homes at a time. So it was a, it was a great business or it is a great business. It sounds like a great business and four times your EBITDA because I'm used to being somewhere in the seven to, to 20 range in services. So mm-hmm. that sounds like you're getting a pretty good deal when you're not, uh, not you know, again, there's different levels, different levels. The the mm-hmm. bigger the business, probably the higher of the multiple. But Yeah. And it's, it's a full-time owner operator. There's licenses, there's credentialing, there's bid limits and all that stuff. So again, not just your average any day buyer can walk in there and, and qualify. It has to be the right, the right buyer. And, and I get lots of people who, just call me and say, Hey, I want to buy a business. I'm open to anything. And the reality is they have to kind of have some general background to be a good fit to, or at least have some way to, you know, cross over. Okay. If you had management background here, then yeah, you can, you can cross over that experience, but it's tough to take a chef who's worked, you know, on the strip as a chef and buy a construction company. You know, that type of stuff is, is a bit of a stretch. I mean, they're not the same thing. Hey, uh, so let's just let, let's just use a segue here then, because twenty million sounds like somebody's not coming out of pocket twenty million. Are they using some sort of financing in most of these cases? They are, yeah, and and deals like that obviously are beyond the SBA limit, so they don't qualify for the things we'll talk about today that are SBA related. That type of a transaction won't qualify. What's the high limit for an SBA loan? Five million dollars. Unless you do what's called a parapassu transaction where you, where you couple it. So you got $5 million here and then maybe you get a $2 million, $3 million conventional loan and, and a parapassu transaction combines the two of them. Mm-hmm. But it still doesn't, you know, you don't do 5 million here and then, then $15 million over here somewhere else. They're, yeah, pri- okay. they're pri- yeah, they're private equity groups that are buying this. Yeah. And that's, you're probably dealing with Blackstone or. Uh, Blue Owl or one of those for the finance. Yeah, they're they're private equity groups that know this space. Uh, They already have granite fabrication companies. Their goal is to roll this up into five or six granite companies that do twenty million in EBITDA, and then they're going to flip that thing for ten ten times. Yep, that's exactly that's the equation, and that's what Mm -hmm. they love to do. They love to buy at the low, make it big, sell at the high. They didn't have to do anything. They usually get financing to get all their money out. They're not even covering the money with the table. Yeah. yeah it's kind of crazy. Let's go back to the SBA because a lot of these folks, you're looking at it saying, hey, I would love to buy a small business for half a million dollars. That's going to kick me an extra 200000 a year. Like That would just be absolutely fantastic. Are those types of deals out there? And if so, how does the SBA play? And then even more importantly, what are the new changes that make it easier for, for for people to acquire those types of businesses. Yeah. So let's talk about some of those changes because some of them are really positive uh, for buyers. It just, it makes it even better. So one of the changes that the SBA made recently, and by recently, I'm talking about August 1st. And before we could do this, maybe Toby, let me just mention, as we were talking about before, I feel like probably how you feel some laws are changing, tax rules are changing. The SBA is still kind of going through and, and making changes and, and adjustments here. So it's it's a little bit of a evolving 
process. But as of August 1st, there's been some positive and significant changes that we can talk about. So one of those is the equity injection um, that a buyer needs to 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 plan for and and have available. So previously, and this is important, previously, well, let, let me just say, typically SBA lenders like at least 10% down or 10% equity injection. The, there were ways to get around that, a little bit creative financing ways to get around that. And primarily what we would do is let's say the buyer only had 5% down. What you could do is you could ask the seller to do a seller carry note for 5 or 10%. Yeah. And that would count as an equity injection if, and this is a big if, if that seller carry note was what is called on full standby for the term of the loan. And the term of most SBA loans are 10 years. So basically what that means is that seller carry note for whatever it happens to be, 5 or 10% in this case, there's no interest, there's no payments on it for 10 years. Oof. That doesn't really get a lot of sellers excited. Yeah. But we use that when we needed to, to get transactions, essentially to get a buyer in that didn't have quite enough equity on their own. Now, here's the change. The SBA will now allow that equity injection to count or that seller carry to count as equity injection. And the seller note only has to be on standby for 24 months. So for two That's years, a, you're sitting yeah. there not getting anything. That's a big difference. And in addition to that, they will allow, and this, we'll talk about this here in a minute, they will allow 100% of the seller carry to count as capital injection. So what that means is if the seller carries 10%, the buyer can buy a business with no money out of pocket. So you could buy a business, nobody down, probably not Mm -hmm. the wisest decision, but you could. Have you had anybody do that? Okay, so here's this. This is key because it's important be, because the SBA has certain rules and guidelines, but the lender has their own set of rules and guidelines. Mm-hmm. Most lenders are not going for that hundred percent carry or the hundred percent, you know, essentially zero yes. zero down. No capital injection by you because you're counting the the, the owner carry as as though you put it in. Yeah. So I have I have one transaction that I'm doing right now, it's in fact, it's in escrow where the lender is okay with that. I've only found one lender that's okay with that. Everyone else is- Who is the lender? Was that a big bank, small bank? Know, most of these are not big banks. You're, you're not going to find your Wells Fargo and your Bank of America doing these type of transactions. Uh, in fact, I, I honestly, I don't even recommend you do SBA loans with them because most of the time, they're not specialists in SBA loans. There are other lenders Mm-hmm. that are non-brick-and-mortar lenders, and this is all they do, is SBA loans. That's their specialty. Because really? the big mm-hmm. one in Nevada is like, I think it was Wells Fargo and then U.S. Bank or something like that. Yeah, but if you get someone like like a Live Oak Bank that mm-hmm. no one necessarily knows oh, yeah. because you don't drive by them, but they do more SBA loans than Wells Fargo and Bank of America combined. That's their, oh, wow. that's their specialty. And so I've got, I've got one lender that is trying to get this done. It's in escrow right now, pending buyer's due diligence and bank approval. It, I have not yet seen it, but all of my other lenders that I've talked to, they want at least 2.5% down. So they'll allow out of that 10%, the seller to carry 7.5%, but they want at least two and a half percent down. I'm buying a million small. dollar business. Like I'm buying a business that's, that's netting out 
$400,000 a year, right? And I'm, if I'm two and a half times, I, get, I think that adds up to a million. I only have to come to the table with twenty five thousand dollars. Yeah, it's and and frankly speaking, that's why some of these lenders, you know, are saying, "Look, you got to come to the table with something." A buyer who buys a business with zero down, either because they don't have the money, is a little bit risky, or if they, you know, they're not really all that committed to it. So I don't blame a lot of these lenders to for wanting a a bit of a, a down payment there. Now, now the lender makes the loan; the SBA just guarantees it, right? So the SBA, yeah lender. Exactly. And and that's what a lot of people don't realize. They think they're getting a loan from the SBA, but it's that's why it's important that you shop around and you get with someone who can help you get the right loan because just because one lender says no doesn't mean one that another lender won't do it or that the SBA won't approve it. It's every lender has to have their still their own guidelines. What what kind of interest rates they're getting hit with right now? They're tough. They're 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 tied to prime, so most of them are variable. And they're around eleven and a half percent. It's it's high right now. But if it's variable, then the idea that hey, the Fed's going to start lowering mm-hmm. rates. Let's say that happens, then your loan would drop in the future. Yeah, exactly. We'll see if they do. Is is inflation helping people in a, in a in a really weird way? Is it is it actually helping the folks that are buying these businesses? Given that inflation's been so high for the last few years. Well, the challenge is because the interest rates go up. The essentially the buying capacity uh, goes down because now the lender, because the lender, the lender is going to look at what they call a debt service ratio. And because the debt payment is up, interest rates are up, the amount of debt that someone can essentially service or that business can service goes down. So right now, because the interest rates where they are, it's, it's decreased the buyer's buying capacity by about 20%. And that's made a significant impact on the, not that it changes the valuations of the business, but it changes what a buyer can afford. And that therefore, in a roundabout way, changes the valuation of the business. Yeah, geez, Louise. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, what other big changes are there in the SBA that, that, that make buying a business right now attractive? If I'm so, an investor out there and I'm looking at this stuff, like what's going to suck me in, Trent? Yeah, so here's an interesting one. Earnouts are not allowed in the SBA. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, I assume most people know what earnouts are, but you know, just for the sake, we'll just cover it in in base, you know, general. Let's say someone buys a business for five hundred thousand dollars, and maybe two hundred thousand dollars of it is tied to some type of an earnout. That's basically based on the performance of the business, whether it's good mm-hmm. or bad. Both parties are going to benefit up or down mm-hmm. on on that business. Earnouts are not allowed, and still, they never have been allowed by the mm-hmm. SBA. But here's what is allowed. And I, and I have done transactions like this before with other lenders that were comfortable with it. And then, but now essentially it's fully approved by, by the SBA. It's called an adjustable seller note. And adjustable seller note. Yeah. So here's how that works. The seller financing portion can only go down. In other words, it can only benefit the buyer. It can't go up to benefit the seller. So. This is ideal when you're buying a business that has aggressive growth. You know, there's a lot of growth happening in here and the projections are pretty aggressive and or there's really key employees that need to stick around or or key vendors that need to stick around. What you could do in this made up example, let's say $500,000, you put $300,000 down with whether it's down payment, all cash or SBA financing. There can be a $200,000 adjustable seller carry note 
we know for sure it's never going to go above $200,000. No matter how good the business goes, it's capped mm -hmm. out. But based on performance benchmarks, that could come down and that could be adjustable if that key vendor or that key employee leaves and the business doesn't hit certain benchmarks that adjust that $200,000 can, can come down. Does that count as uh, liquidity, by the way? Is that is that one of those notes that counts towards the contribution from the buyer? Like from a tax standpoint? No, I'm thinking of uh, earlier we were talking about, hey, I have to come up with 10%, but if I had an owner carry that, mm. that, that could now count. No, that one doesn't. 24. That one doesn't. So like that, that one one's probably I'm paying right from the get go. So it's not going to count towards that. Yeah, because it, if you think months. about it, the the bank still has to make sure that the business can debt service that that full two hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars. So it still has to meet the basic debt service criteria and it can yeah. go down. But, but we know for sure it can't go up. And at the very highest, we know the bank and the business can support it. It sounds like it's good for a buyer for for sure saying, hey. I need like I'm. It reduces their risk because all of a sudden they're paying less for a business that doesn't perform. Mm -hmm. But also, if I'm the seller, I'm like, hey, this is what I want. Maybe I can get myself a little bit better price because I do yeah. have that assurance. All of a sudden, you're taking less risk, so you should be paying me on the higher end of the spectrum as opposed to the lower end of the spectrum. Yeah, and, and there's there's a risk both both parties, right? The buyer's taking a risk that the business is going to perform, like the seller says. But the seller's taking a risk that the buyer's going to be able to continue to operate the business just as good as they have, if not better. All right. What else has changed that makes this an attractive time for a, for a buyer to come grab a business? So here's something that necess hasn't necessarily changed, but it's relevant for buyers and sellers if they're looking at buying and selling a business. Traditionally, when a business financials are steady or growing, when we do a valuation on the business or when a bank looks at valuing the business and calculating even debt service ratio, they're going to look at a three-year weighted average, not just one good year. One good year is not going to just ma ma magically make or break or a bad year magically make or break the business. They're going to look at a three-year weighted average. But if revenue is shrinking, the bank and most buyers are going to put primarily most of their weight on a trailing 12 months financials. So the point I'm making is if you're thinking about selling the business, whatever you do, don't let the gas off. Keep that revenue <laughs> steady or, or trending. Don't up. wait. Don't don't ease yourself out and then sell it. Sell it at the top. Yeah. Yeah. Sell it at it, the top or sell it when it's still heading to the top. Don't get so burnt out that you get frustrated and let revenue start slipping because it makes a big difference on the valuation. Now there there was something else about uh, is, is there something about key employees like this the uh, yeah if, if somebody is sells a business that they can actually stay on as a key employee where that mm -hmm. may have been restricted mm -hmm. in the past yes exactly and that's a big one I'll, I'll give you an example one of the deals that we have on the market right now in fact I drafted the offer this morning I'm, I sent it out for the buyer to review it uh, he hasn't signed anything yet but it's a paving and grading company. They make about $900,000 adjusted profit per year. Because it's in the industry that it's in, there's what's called a QE, a qualified employee, and there's contractor licenses. Mm -hmm. In the past, the SBA just take a, took a hard stance saying, no, if the buyer doesn't have that license, we cannot close on the loan. Someone, whether it's the buyer or one of the employees, has to ha have the license and be the QE. 
the seller can't. That's what, that's what has, has happened and has changed is now the seller can stay on as that qualified employee, that license holder mm -hmm. post closing and allow the buyer to get in, get the experience, get the references and qualify for that license sometime in the future. And that's yeah, a big, I, that's a big change. Now I've seen that in the, like here we are in Vegas. I'm in Vegas. But they have the uh, restaurants with gaming license and liquor licenses, and quite often they'll sell. But the previous owners have to stay on mm -hmm. for the for the licensing while they in it has to operate. And then there's a transition period. Is this something like that? Yeah, uh, any, anything that the SBA deems as a key employee or a key license holder, that becomes a lot easier for the transition. Like to your point, gaming. I mean, I've I've got a Mexican restaurant gaming bar here in town. It's fantastic. It makes good money. It's been here for 30 years. And for someone to come in and not be able to close until they get both the liquor and the gaming. That could be a while. Yeah. It's like a year long process. Yep. And so the previous owner then could stay on and the SBA could be involved. Cause yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about some of these. They were, they had to find outside financing. It's probably the same deal as they wouldn't underwrite it. It makes sense. What other issues are floating around out there that have changed that make now a good time to be that buyer? So here's, here's a good one. The SBA used to have what they call an excessive liquidity issue or or when a buyer had excessive liquidity. I want some excessive liquidity. Yeah, I know. That would be nice. So I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. I had, um, I had a business for sale and, and you'll know this, Toby, in, in Vegas, there's all these, you know, gated communities. Yep. Um, they all have, you know, these electronic gates and you have to push the pin code or call someone before you go in. This company manufactured the gates and serviced the gates and the box. So anytime the gate breaks, which you've seen these, they break all the time. Yep. Uh, they, they handled that. Well, I had a perfect buyer. He contacted me, had all the right background, everything. He al already had the licenses, just the perfect buyer in every way. We wrote the offer. Often when offers come in, what we do to enhance that offer or make it really credible for, from a seller's standpoint is we present the offer and we present buyer's proof of funds to show, mm -hmm. hey, seller, this guy's got Bunny. at least enough money for a solid down payment that we can get the rest from the bank. Well, he sent me his proof of funds and there was like $30 million just sitting in his investment account. And I'm like, what are you, Oops. why are you buying this business? The business was like 2.3, 2.4 million. I can't remember the exact amount. Um, mm -hmm. I'm like, why are you getting a loan from the SBA? Just write a check for, for this business. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, some people like to leverage and use other people's money, which is, which is fine. But the SBA would not approve him. That was an, ex obviously an exaggerated excessive liquidity issue. And so let me make sure I get this right. So the SBA says you don't need the money, so I'm not going to give it to you. Yeah. Right. If you think about it, the SBA program was really funded for people who didn't have the money to begin with. It was, it was, it was not, it was not meant for people to leverage the government's, you know, backed money to, to, for their own investments. Yeah. Depending on where he held it, why wouldn't he just do a security back line of credit and use that money? Well, that's, that's essentially what we ended up doing. The SBA said yeah. no. Yeah, because uh, so, the SBA is like, the, why, why would we underwrite this asset when you, hey, for those people who don't know, like if you have money sitting in a brokerage account, they'll loan you money on that. Go to security yeah. back line of credit. If it's just sitting in stocks and bonds, you can write 75, 80% of that amount. 
Yeah. So, so, so we ended up going back to his credit union, his primary bank, and just, just leveraging some existing assets. He, he got the money quickly and we closed the transaction. Yeah. But yeah. that issue, excessive liquidity is, has been removed. <laughs> All right. What else is out there? Cause that, that does seem kind of silly because there's a lot of people, especially in the last three years that have cashed out of deals where you've had mm-hmm. massive amounts of equity, especially if you're in real estate. Some cases sit down in portfolio properties that have tripled. Yeah. Yeah, here here's another good one that's that's been changed in the past. If you bought a business, let's just say, you know, you, you and I, you you were the buyer, I was the buyer and you gave me the money just to close the transaction quick. Mm-hmm. You could not then refinance that business with the SBA for 24 months. Uh, that's been changed where now if you can show that I have a benefit of saving at least 10% of that debt service whether it's hard money, whether it's high interest rates, whether it's a short term loan, I can then refinance that. So that that's helpful for people who want to close on it quickly and not deal with all the SBA that would drag out the closing process. All right. So I've lost count, Trent. So I'm just going to have to call this SBA. Are there any other changes that you've seen that actually make a pretty big impact to make it easier to buy these businesses? Yeah, there's a couple more, uh, maybe two more that we'll talk about. I knew you had some in your mm. pocket. I'm like, <laughs> I try to come up with little lists of things that I'm like, okay, forget it. He's, he's, he's beyond that. All right. What are they? Let's, let, let, let's put it all on the table. All the chips are out. Okay. So here's an interesting one. The SBA redefined the loans, the definition of small business loans from 350,000 to 500,000. Now, here's why that matters, because most people wouldn't wouldn't care. What does the SBA define that as? Why does that even matter? Small business loans, if it's classified as a small business loan, the requirement to pledge personal collateral, such as your primary residence, can be removed. It's yeah. not required. So now that, to your point, we started that $500,000 small business that you know someone wants to buy, they may be able to buy it without putting a lien or collateral on their primary residence. Wow. So you can come in there, again, a half million dollar business, which sounds like it's probably doing net would be somewhere in 150 to $200,000 yeah. range. Yeah. And then, and then when you calculate that net, are you taking out the, the you're not taking out the uh, the salary of the owner. So the salary could be, that that could be what they're making. We, we do both. So we take out the salary of the owners in order to calculate seller's discretionary earnings. We leave fair market salary in to calculate EBITDA. Right. Yeah. But you're buying it off the the former, right? Um, te- technically, really, valuation should be done with both. You mm-hmm. should look up a, bi- a good business appraiser should look at what the fair market multiple of SDE is and the fair mm-hmm. market multiple of EBITDA, and do both of them. And in theory, they should be fairly close. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, you're looking at it because yeah, it should should kind of match up. And, and again, in real estate, you're just looking at one thing usually, which is the cash flow. Yeah. And cash because the real estate does the heavy lifting, but here you have to figure in somebody has to work. Somebody has to do that labor. And it's usually the, the, the seller is working in that business. And so now you're going to have to substitute yourself in. So they got to figure that out just in mm-hmm. case you don't have time. Um, what else? What else? Okay. Last one. One, mm-hmm. one last update. We've had lots of good updates. I'll give you a bad update. There are some changes with the franchise approval. So if you're looking at buying or selling a franchise, the issue is they, the SBA used to have something called the franchise registry where all banks, everyone, all lenders could look up in this national database 
and see what does the FDD say about ownership changes, review it from a legal eligibility standpoint. That has been removed. And the reason that's bad is because now the SBA has put it on every single lender individually. And a lot of these lenders are not set up to have a legal team start reviewing FDDs and franchise requirements and transfer of ownership eligibility based on the FDD. And so some lenders are just saying, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. What's your favorite franchise to, to, to buy or sell? Got to have a, you got to have a couple that you're like, all right, never these folks ever again. Or <laughs> yeah, these ones are easy and they make money. So honestly, I don't have, so this comment might get me in trouble, but let, let me just say it. And then, <laughs> then you can tell me if I'm, if I'm bad here. Mm-hmm. Um, I've sold a lot of franchises and mm-hmm. here's the one thing I've learned about franchises. The guy or girl who buys that first franchise and pays all the fees and all the build out and buys all the equipment brand new, those are tough. They end up spending so much money on brand new franchises and then the business doesn't make as much. But the guy or girl who buys that same franchise on the second around or or the third, now they've bought a business that, you know, it's established. They're not paying those high rates for I mean, some of these people go in and, and it's, you know, concrete floors, dirt floor. They're doing the leasehold improvements. They're building out the landlord's property for him. They're saying, here's what it has to be. Sometimes they you have to use my vendors. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And you're paying up the nose. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I'm a big fan of franchises. I'm just not a big fan of being the first one to open that franchise. You, you're a fan of buying the franchise that's been there for two to three years. It's like. Mm-hmm buying a leased car. You don't want to be the guy that buys the brand new car. You want to be the guy that buys the car when it has 12,000 miles on it. Yeah, exactly. Because, yeah, uh, yeah, you're getting, they took the the 30% hit. Yeah. And and to our point that we started with at the beginning, Mm -hmm. you find a good franchise, good brand, good reputation that has a bad business owner that just overspent and doesn't quite know how to operate. And you get in there as a good business operator, you pick it up at a fair price. And it's not so much how much you're paying for it, and not franchise in general, any business. It's not just how much you're paying for it based on maybe a bad business owner or a poor business owner, how much profit they were making. It's the opportunity you have to get into that business and grow it. I have seen over and over again, good buyers who go in there and they just, in the, in the, in a year or two, they can double and triple a business because they put operations, they put processes, procedures, systems in place, good marketing plans. You know, it's how many business owners have absolutely no database of customers that they have any relationship with, that they're trying to create any reoccurring revenue, any type of, you know, it's just a lot of business owners don't operate the way they should. And you get a good business operator that buys a business at a fair price and then turns that into a great business. Now you've got a really good recipe for success. That's awesome. All right, Trent, how does somebody get a hold of you if they're interested in buying a business? So I'm finally on social media. I'm getting set up on, on all those. So I have like two people that like me, my wife and my, my mom on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, starting to make some videos. They can find me on any social media platform. I'm there. So just, uh, just look me up there. Sure. In fact, I, what I try and do is I try and post on my social media account usually seven days prior to me taking listings public, I posted on my social media following 
about a week ahead of schedule so people can see good uh, good deals. Perfect. And uh, and we'll put a link in the uh, show notes to make sure people can find you. Thanks again, my friend, for coming in. It's always enlightening. And uh, if, if anybody's out there is listening and you have the energy and the wherewithal and maybe an expertise, now's the time to buy a business. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode.